We'll be in Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter number 12, continuing to preach our way through the book of Acts. And boy, I tell you what, the book of Acts is just full of great, great um, lessons for us as Christians and as how uh, we should operate in the New Testament church. This morning, though, we're going to be looking here in Acts chapter number 12 at this thought, the power of prayer, the power of prayer. In our last lesson from the book of Acts, we saw the church moving forward for the cause of Christ. Uh, we saw the, t- the story of how Peter went to the house of Cornelius. And of course, that story encompassed about three chapters uh, there in the book of Acts, how that Peter went to, to the house of Cornelius. God gave Peter the vision, said, Peter, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And so Peter went to Cornelius' house. He shared the gospel. Cornelius accepted the Lord as his Savior. Peter comes back to Jerusalem. He gets there and the authorities in the church uh, are upset uh, with Peter because Peter ate uh, with Gentiles. He went into the Gentiles' house. Uh, he sat down with the Gentiles. He ate with the Gentiles uh, and they were upset. They weren't necessarily upset that he had preached to them. Uh, uh, it was apparent they needed preaching. Uh, but they were upset uh, uh, that he had eaten with the Gentiles. This was a man-made tradition. Uh, uh, this was something that man had devised on his own uh, And they said, Peter, you cannot do this. Uh, You can't go eat with Gentiles. But Peter rehearsed to them what God had shown him. uh, And Peter rehearsed to them how God had made it clear to him that the gospel was uh, to go to the Gentiles. And of course, we know that this was prophesied all through the prophets that the gospel was to go uh, to the Gentiles also, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Uh, And so it had been prophesied. And Peter said, this is what God revealed to me. Once Peter revealed what God had shown him, uh, the uh, leaders of the church, in Jerusalem got on board. They got excited. They said, we want to be a part of this. And they began to send missionaries out. They sent out Barnabas. They sent out Paul. They sent missionaries to go into these Gentile areas and to begin to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people began to get saved and God was blessing and people were being reached who would have never been reached otherwise. God was doing a miraculous work there in Uh, the New Testament church. It was a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration, a a time of church growth, a, a time of expansion of their ministry. It was obvious that God was at work. And right in the midst of all this rejoicing and blessing and serving, the devil threw a curveball. And the curveball he threw could have, and maybe we could even say should have, wiped the church out. But instead of going into desperation, the church of God went to the Lord in prayer, and although they faced some terrible trials, they came out on the other side victorious and still serving the Lord. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes and look at the thought of the power of prayer based on this story that we find in Acts chapter number 12. So we're going to read uh, starting in verse number 1 of Acts chapter number 12 and read down through verse number 16. The Bible says now about that time, about the time that the church was growing and the Gentiles were being reached and, and things were happening, about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. 
And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Here in this passage of Scripture, I see three things that I want to look at this morning. First of all, I see severe persecution. I see fervent prayer, and I see abundant power. And so, Lord, helping us this morning, we're going to look at these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have, Lord, to look into your word. Father, I pray that as we look at these things this morning, uh, Father, Lord, that it will encourage our hearts, and, Lord, it will challenge our hearts, that, Lord, it doesn't matter what trial, uh, what situation, what persecution, uh, Lord, whatever it is that we come up against, that, Lord, we have access uh, to the throne of God. Lord, we have access to the power of God and the ability of God. And Lord, if we take our problems to you, Lord, you are able to overcome whatever it may be that this world or the devil throws our way. And Father, I pray that you will use this message, Lord, to challenge our hearts and encourage us, Lord, in our service to you. Thank you again for this privilege and opportunity to be in your house. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have you ever noticed the accuracy of the devil's timing? You ever notice how accurately he can time his attack? He never misses an opportunity to interrupt a, a good thing. I'll tell you what, I don't know if you've experienced this, but have you ever had one of those days where you're just having a good day? I mean, you're just having a good day. You're happy to be alive. You're, you, you love your family. You love your house. You love your automobiles. You think your yard's the prettiest in the community. I mean, you're just loving life and then you trip and fall off the porch. Or you stub your toe on your way to get something out of the refrigerator, and all of a sudden, this day that was perfect just got turned upside down. It seems like the devil never, ever misses an opportunity to interrupt a good thing. In Acts chapter number 11, the Lord was blessing the church. The church was growing. The church was expanding. People were being reached. People were being saved. Christians were going forth and reaching others, and more people were believing, and the 
devil decides that this is a good time to throw a broomstick through their bicycle spokes. Now, I know kids nowadays don't ride bicycles near like we used to, but you ever had somebody throw a broom handle through your bicycle spokes? I'm telling you what, it puts the brakes on your progress. And the devil said, this is a real good time for me to stop what is going on at the church house. Have you ever experienced this? Has the devil ever thrown an unexpected wrench into your plans? Has he ever thrown a curveball that you didn't see coming? Has there ever been a time when you were on the mountaintop for God and before night fell, you were in the worst state of depression you've ever been in? The devil came along and he threw a wrench in your plans. Well, let me assure you, you're not alone. Because here in Acts chapter number 12, Luke records a a time when the devil interrupted God's blessings on the church. In verse 1 down through verse number 4, we see that the church was facing some severe persecution. Some severe persecution. There's four things that I want to point out to you this afternoon concerning this persecution. First of all, we see the timing of the persecution, the timing of of this persecution. It says there in verse number 1, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. We talked about this in the introduction. But we see here that the persecution came when the church was doing good. Now there's two things we can gather from this. First, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, the devil was trying to stop uh, a good thing. The devil was trying to interrupt what God was doing. But what I want to point out here uh, is that the believers uh, were in a good place uh, to ward off uh, the attacks uh, of uh, the devil. Uh, Now because they were on the mountaintop uh, is why the devil interrupted what was going on. But because uh, they were close to God, and they were actively serving God and they were actively living for God, I believe is why they were able to handle this persecution the way that they were. Now don't make no mistake, the devil will try to interrupt you anytime that things are going good, but he doesn't, uh, he doesn't discriminate about when he attacks you. The devil will attack you when you're on the mountaintop. He will attack you when you're in the valley. He will attack you when things are going good. He will attack you when you're discouraged. The devil doesn't discriminate. And since we know that he is going to attack, wouldn't it be wise to learn from this example that if we stay in a close relationship with God, when he attacks, we're better able to ward off the attacks of the devil. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians to take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, and whenever you look at the armor of God and the description of the armor of God, it is not an actual garment that we put on, but what it is is a person who is in a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the timing of the persecution definitely came when they were doing good and the devil was trying to put the brakes on their progress. But we can also see from the timing that the church was in a good place spiritually to ward off the attacks of the devil. In addition to the timing of the persecution, we can look at verse number 2 and we see the extent of the persecution. The extent of the persecution. It says in verse number 2, And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. This wasn't mild persecution. This wasn't a season of inconvenience. This was serious stuff. 
Herod killed James. James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, as Jesus called them, one of the apostles, one of the main leaders in the New Testament church, Herod killed James. He captured him and he killed him. Herod the king here in this passage of Scripture is the grandson of Herod the Great who was in authority when Christ was born. And you remember Herod the Great killed all the babies, the two years old and younger, trying to eliminate the Messiah. This is his grandson, Herod the king. And Herod the king wanted to get popularity. He was the king there. He was ruling over the Jewish nation and he he wanted popularity. He wanted people to like him. Well, as far as the Jews were concerned, the Christians were a problematic, defenseless bunch of people. The Jews did not like them. They interrupted what the Jews were doing. They, they were saying that the Old Testament laws and rituals and all this were gone and that they had been replaced by this Jesus Christ. And the Jews despised the work of the Christians. Herod said, if I want to get popularity among the Jews, I don't need the Christians to support me. I need the Jews to support me. So I will kill a Christian and now the Jews will love me for it. So he went and he found James and he killed James, seeking popularity. James was actually the first apostle. He wasn't the first martyr, but he was the first apostle to be martyred for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse number 3, we see that this martyrdom wasn't because of Herod's own personal dislike for the Christians, although I don't believe he had any love for them. It wasn't, he didn't kill them because he personally disliked them. He killed James because he was seeking popularity for himself. If we could run a little bit of a rabbit trail right here just for a second. You need to be careful. We need to be careful seeking our own advancement. Because when we get focused on seeking our own advancement, we tend to dismiss our morals. Herod the king was seeking his own advancement and he justified killing James as a means of advancing himself. In verse number 3, we see the reason for the persecution and because he saw it pleased the Jews. This is what he was after. He wanted the Jews to like him as a king. We see that he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Killing James had pleased the Jews. It had accomplished his goal. But there's something about sin... Sin is never satisfied. Sin never has a stopping point. You cannot go to a certain point in sin and your fleshly lust and your fleshly desires and your fleshly drives be satisfied. Sin has no stopping point. And whenever Herod killed James, it accomplished his goal. It gained him popularity. But now he's become bloodthirsty. This was a success. This is an easy road to being the most popular leader that the Jews have ever had. Since killing James was so successful, he's going to go ahead and kill Peter. Now, if James was a score, Peter is an even better score. Because you remember, just a couple chapters back, Peter violated the Jewish law terribly when he went and ate with the Gentiles. 
And the Jews are not one bit happy that Peter is tearing down the traditions that they have stood for for years and years and years. They're not one bit happy about it. And so if he can kill Peter, the Jews will love him way more than they did for killing James. Peter's like a prize target. Boy, if we can get Peter, this will be great. But Peter is a risky guy to capture. If you look back through the book of Acts, you'll find out that Peter's been in prison twice already, and he escaped both times. He's kind of a slippery individual. You can't seem to hold on to Peter very well. So he's going to capture Peter, and he's going to kill Peter, but he knows that Peter has a reputation for getting away. And so we see in verse number 4 the strength of the persecution, the strength of the persecution. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. That's 16 soldiers. He delivered one man, Peter, to 16 soldiers to keep him. Intending after Easter, and Easter here refers to the Passover, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Herod wanted to make sure that he didn't lose this prize, and so he took Peter and he found 16 of his best men, and he said, I want you to keep this guy and keep him secure. After the Passover, we're going to kill him. We see in verse number 6 that not only did he have 16 men who were supposed to be watching over him, we see in verse number 6 that he was chained directly to two of the soldiers. So two of the soldiers uh, probably most likely had a, a, a cuff on their own arm and a chain and a cuff on Peter's arm and one on the other side. And uh, Peter was chained directly to two soldiers. Uh, and then we see that additional soldiers guarded the door. Uh, if you go down to verse number 10, you'll find that Peter was kept in the second ward. This means uh, that you go into the prison. Here's the first room, then you go through that and you go into the second room so he was in the inner prison there's no way that this guy is getting out of jail he is locked in tight there is no human way possible that Peter was breaking out of prison but you see what Herod wasn't counting on was Peter wasn't the guy that had been breaking out <laughs> he thought that he had to secure himself against human ability but Peter had supernatural connections and you and I have supernatural connections. Don't forget that. When we come here to this passage, we see that every precaution had been taken to prevent Peter's escape. And from a human viewpoint, Peter's life and ministry had come to an end. And really, Herod had just killed James. Now, I, I don't know about you, but the way that I work as a human, if Brother James had just been killed, and now Peter's in prison, I'm going to struggle with believing that God's going to deliver Peter because James didn't get delivered. I'm, I'm going to struggle with that. What, what's, what's the deal? James, James got killed. It looks like Peter is going to die. Peter's life and ministry is over. When we come to verse number 5, we see though that there was a force, there was an access, there was a plan, there was something in place that neither Herod nor the devil had took into consideration. That was that the church made 
fervent prayer. The church made fervent prayer. It says in verse number 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Did you notice those two words? But prayer. Now if you write in your Bible and you think this is a good thing to do, sometimes when preachers tell me where to mark in my Bible, I'm like, no, I ain't marking that, brother. I mean, you might like it, but that's not for me. But if you mark in your Bible and you think this is a good thing, circle those words, but prayer. Because any time but prayer is put into a bad situation, you can count on it that that situation is getting ready to change. The story is getting ready to take a turn. Things are getting ready to work out differently. Some good things are getting ready to happen when the words but prayer are inserted into the middle of a bad situation. We see here that it says, but prayer. You know, it doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter how insurmountable. It doesn't matter how uh, impassable. It doesn't matter how impossible your situation is. Prayer will always make a difference. Prayer always will change things. Peter was in prison. And after seeing what he had done to James, there was no doubt that Herod's intention was to kill Peter. There was no question that Herod's mind was seared to a point that he would have no problem taking Peter's life. It was obvious what Herod was intending to do. But instead of falling into a state of despair, God's people came together before the throne of God. They could have fallen into despair. They could have worried and wrung their hands. Uh, they could have made all kinds of Facebook posts about what do you think is going to happen to Peter. Uh, uh, they could have made all kinds of things about what a bad leader Herod was. Uh, they could have done all this stuff. But instead of doing all that, the church came together and joined their hearts in prayer that God would intervene. I want to point out three things about this prayer. First, I want to consider the reason for their prayer, the reason for their prayer. I believe the reason for their prayer was twofold. First of all, I believe that they prayed for Peter. And second of all, I believe that they prayed to defeat the prison. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I believe these Christians, first of all, were praying for Peter personally. Why do I believe that? Well, here in a little bit, we're going to see the fact that Peter was asleep. We'll look at that in more detail when we get there. But I believe the reason Peter was sleeping is because somebody was praying for Peter personally. They were praying for his emotions. They were praying for his fears. They were praying for his concerns. They said he is our brother and he is in prison. He is coming to the end of his life. Lord, I pray that you'll be close to Peter. I pray that you'll comfort Peter. I pray, that, Lord, that you'll calm Peter's fears. I pray that you'll give him peace if he's come to the end of his line. I believe they were praying for Peter personally. The Bible teaches us that whenever a brother or a sister is experiencing hardship, that we are to enter emotionally and mentally into that hardship with them so that we can feel what they feel and we can experience what they experience. And I believe the reason the Lord teaches us to do that is so that we can pray for them as they need to be prayed for. I believe these Christians were pouring their heart out for Peter. Oh, Lord, I can't imagine being in the prison. I can't imagine coming to the end of his days. You're like, oh, but Peter was a great Christian. Yeah, Peter was a human too. You can be as good a Christian as you want to be and whenever somebody brings the sword out, your heart's going to beat faster too. 
They said, Lord, help Peter. I believe they were praying for Peter personally. But I believe they were also praying for the defeat of that prison. Now, this was an impossible task. Peter wasn't coming out of prison. But they were praying that God would do something about Peter's situation. They knew that this was a God-sized problem. You know why I believe we don't pray more than we do? It's because we don't see problems as big enough for God. I believe it's good once in a while for us to find ourselves in a situation that's bigger than we are because then we realize I've got to take this to God. This was way bigger than they were. The prison was secure. The guards were armed. Herod's intentions were clear. The only hope they had was a miraculous intervention from an almighty God. And that's just exactly what these believers did. They interceded on Peter's behalf for an intervention from God. But now I want to point out a couple of things about how they prayed. We see the reason for their prayer, but I want you to look in and at the length of their prayer. The length of their prayer. In verse 3, we see that Peter was arrested during the days of unleavened bread. In verse 4, we see that Herod intended to kill him after Easter, which, as I said, is referring to the Passover. To put all this in perspective, the days of unleavened bread were observed for seven days leading up to the Passover. So for Peter to have been arrested during the days of unleavened bread and held until after the Passover, it becomes obvious that this wasn't an hour-long prayer meeting. It becomes obvious this wasn't an overnight prayer meeting. This prayer meeting most likely went on for several days, possibly even for over a week. This prayer meeting went on. You know what, a lot of times when we read this story, uh, the way we picture it in our mind is we see Peter being arrested and hauled off to jail about 3 in the afternoon. We see word getting around that Peter's in jail. The Christians get together about 5 and they start praying. About 7 o'clock, there's a knock on the door. Peter's free. That's not what happened. No, Peter got hauled off to jail and for days they prayed. The Bible says in verse, in verse number 5 that prayer was made without ceasing for him. They said we got a serious problem and we need to see God intervene and they began to pray. They prayed for an hour. They prayed for three hours. They prayed up into the night. The daylight began to break and they were still praying. They prayed through lunchtime. They prayed through dinner time. It got up into the night again and they kept on praying. All through the next day they kept praying. All through the next day they kept praying. They said we're not going to get off our knees. We're not going to stop interceding. We're not going to stop begging God until we have an answer. And for several days, maybe as much as a week, they never stopped praying. This wasn't that church cast went out and everybody breathed a prayer for Brother Peter. No, this was serious. You know what? Sometimes God had the ability to deliver Peter all along. But sometimes God wants to see how serious we are about wanting him to work. You see, had Herod took Peter's life, it wouldn't have been bad for Peter and it wouldn't have been bad for God. Peter would have went on to heaven, they'd have been together. This wasn't a bad thing. 
God wanted to see if the people were serious. And I think there are sometimes situations that come into our life, uh, uh, things that we uh, face, uh, and we, we could see them change, but we don't act very serious about it when we go before God with it. God's like, it really doesn't seem like it's a big deal to them. I don't guess it's a big deal to me either. The church let God know this is something we don't want Peter to die. We ain't stopping until you do something. You see the length of their prayer? This was effectual, fervent, desperate prayer. And when God sees this type of sincerity, God will respond. But then the next thing I see about this prayer that I believe contributed to its success was the unity of the prayer. It says there in verse number 5 that the church united together in prayer. It says, But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Him. This wasn't just one or two people. This was the entire church who put their life on hold and came together for one purpose, and that was to pray. The entire church bonded together in unceasing, fervent prayer for the intervention of God on behalf of their brothers. You know what? Whenever a group of God's children bond their hearts together to intercede on someone's behalf, you can mark it down that they will get God's attention and He will do something. And that's exactly what He did. In verse 6 down through verse number 16, we see the demonstration of His abundant power. First we see in verse number 6, Peter's situation. Peter's situation. It says, And when Peter would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. I know we're about out of time. I want to move through this quickly, but we we can't miss this. Peter was soon to die. He was securely chained, and he was sound asleep. Now, I don't know about you, and I know that when I die, I have no question, I have no doubt, I have no worries, no wonders. When I die, I am going to be with my Savior. I don't fret over that. I don't lose sleep over that. I don't wonder over that. I have no question, no doubt, no worry whatsoever. I know that when I die, I will be with my Savior. But if I knew, Brother C, that they were going to chop my head off in the morning, I I believe I'd be pacing the floor. I believe I'd be just a little bit fretful, you know. I'd be a little worried. I might lay down and try to get some sleep, but I would toss and turn. I would wonder just exactly how they're going to do it. Is it going to be quick? Is it going to hurt? Oh my goodness. I, I mean, I believe I'd be pretty worried about this. But Peter was sound asleep. I, I, I have trouble comprehending this. But I do know that the Bible teaches that God will give grace to His children at the time of death that we cannot understand. And Peter came, this is the last time that Peter's going to lay down and sleep. In the morning, his life is over with. Peter looked at the two guards and he says, Fellas, I'm sorry y'all on duty and have to stay up. I'm going to sleep. I'm tired. Been a long day being chained to you two guys, fussing and arguing with each other. Y'all keep it quiet. I'm going to sleep. 
You know what those two guards probably wondered? How is this possible that this man can lay down and go to sleep? And I believe the way he could do it was twofold. One, there was a group of Christians who were praying, Lord, I pray that you help Peter. I pray you give him peace. I pray you give him contentment. I pray you settle his fears and settle his worries and help Peter, Lord, just to have a peace of mind. And there were Christians who loved him and who was praying for him. But I believe also that Peter was at rest that whatever God wants to do with me, I'm good with it. And Peter laid down and he went to sleep. Next in this passage in verse 7, we see the angel's visitation. We see in verse number 7, the angel's arrival. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. A light shined in the prison. He smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off uh, from his hands. In verse number 8, we see the angel's advice. And the angel said to him, Gird thyself, uh, and bind on thy sandals. Uh, and so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. Now, it's something I just want to point out to you right here, something I believe is very valuable. If the angel could take his chains off, uh, the angel could have put his shoes on, the angel could have put his jacket on, but the angel just did what Peter could not do. You know what? Sometimes we sit around and we want God to do everything while we do nothing. God will take care of the things we can't do, but the things we're able to do, He wants us to do for ourselves. The angel said, get your shoes on, get your coat on. I imagine the rest of Peter's life, every time he bent down to buckle his sandals, he remembered that angel intervening and saying, come on, it's time to go. Then in verse 9 through 10, we see the angel's ability, and he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel Peter's leg. Man, this is the best dream. Talk about a good dream before you die. This is a good one, man. He wist not what was going on, didn't realize that it was true, thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. They went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Something I like about this is that the angel just did what God had told him to do. The angel didn't tell Peter where he needed to go. The angel didn't tell Peter what he was supposed to do after. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The angel just did what God asked him to do. You know, we could learn something from this angel. Just do what God's asked you to do and let God take care of the rest. The angel got him out in the street and he's like, my job's over. I hope you know where to go from here. I'm out. <laughs> Angel was gone. Peter's standing there in the street. He looks around, reaches back to adjust the rock he had for a pillow, and he's like, well, there ain't no... I'm really standing in the street. I'm free. I'm out of prison again. Old slippery Peter, he got out again. The last thing we see in this passage in the regard to God answering their prayers, the church's celebration. You know, there is nothing that will cause a celebration among God's people, like whenever God's people come together to pray and God answers that prayer. This church had came together to pray and we see that they received an answer to an impossible prayer. They prayed and God manifested His power. Let's look quickly at what transpired. In verse 11 to 13, we see Peter's arrival. And I hate that we're out of time because this is just a great story. You'll just have to imagine how this went down yourself. I'll try to give you a glimpse and you just pictured this afternoon. We see Peter's arrival. Now when, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of the Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. 
And when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary. I like that. He thought, now, the church, let's see, where's everybody going to be? I bet they're at Mary's house praying. You know what? You know you're a part of a good church when you know that you're going to find the people praying. Peter said, let me think. Well, I was in jail, been in jail for almost a week. Uh, Mary's got a big house. I bet they're at Mary's house praying. Off Peter went to Mary's house where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken. Now remember this also as we were talking about the length of the prayer. The angel came at midnight and let him go. People are awake and praying when he gets to the house. Just, Just notice that. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. Verse 14 and 15, we see Rhoda's amazement. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. Now something I want to give you right here, just a little nugget for you to think on. The people gathered together and they prayed for a week without ceasing that God would deliver Peter. But when Peter was delivered, they didn't believe. What do we learn from this? Well, the Bible tells us, I believe it's in the book of John, he says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. The people believed that God was able. They believed enough that they went and they prayed. They believed that God was able to the point that they prayed without ceasing. They believed in God's ability enough that they prayed for several days. But whenever the answer came, their human minds just could not comprehend how it was possible that God could do that. They said, there's no way. There's no way. You know what? Sometimes folks will, will criticize. Well, do you believe, really believe God's able to do that? Yes. How's He going to do it? I have no idea. How is God going to make this happen? I have no idea. Can you explain to me how God's going to do that? No, I can't. But I believe enough in God's ability that I'm willing to seek Him unceasingly in prayer. When He came, they're like, there's no way. This is impossible. There's no way that this could have happened. Maybe you have heard of a situation where someone had an illness or there was some circumstance that there was impossible to be met and you prayed about it. And when God answered it, you couldn't believe that it had been answered because the impossibility was so big. But yet they had taken it to God. I tell you what, we need to learn to take it to God. If you believe He's able, take it to Him regardless if you know how he's going to answer. Take it to him. We see in verse number 16, everyone's amazement. But Peter continued knocking. Just love that part. I'm sure you've thought of it as well. Rhoda runs back in and Peter's just like, come on, you know I broke out of jail. Uh, Herod's going to notice I'm gone anytime. Come on, somebody open the door. He continued knocking. When he continued knocking, they opened the door and saw him and they were astonished. Here he is, the answer to our prayer. From persecution to prayer to power. I don't know what trial you might be facing. I don't know what situation might be in your life. I don't know what difficulty you're up against, but I do know this. This this church went from persecution 
to prayer and the story ends with a demonstration of God's power. Whatever it is that you're facing, if you will take it to God in prayer, your story will also end with a demonstration of God's power. Prayer changes things. We look at this story and we see the story of an impossible situation. We see a situation that had the potential to stop the progress of what God was doing. But instead of letting the situation overwhelm them, they took it to God in prayer and God intervened. I want to say there may be things that can come into our life that if we allow them, will stop our own personal spiritual progress. But instead of getting overwhelmed, let's learn to be people who take it to the Lord in prayer and watch God make a difference in our life. Let's all stand to our feet. Have Miss Debbie come to the piano. We'll take just a moment. If the Lord spoke to your heart about your need, to take some things to the Lord in prayer. Miss Debbie will play for just a minute. If the Lord spoke to your heart, you come. Amen. Thank each and every one of you for coming out today. I know that that was a, a little different schedule, but I appreciate you being flexible, being willing to come on out to the Lord's house and uh, enjoy the afternoon service. I know myself, I'm glad to have you here. The other option was for me to just live stream here from the church, and it's much better to have people to preach to than it is to just preach to the camera. Appreciate each and every one of you who's willing to adjust your schedule. Come on out to church, and I've enjoyed being in the Lord's house. It's been good being here, and I appreciate it. We won't have an evening service. They are calling for the temperatures to drop, and with everything melting, uh, could be a good bit of refreeze. Plus, you barely have time to get home before it's time to come back, so we won't be having a service this evening, but do appreciate you being here this afternoon. Pray the Lord blesses you, gives you a wonderful week. It's good to have Brother Eric Ramsey with us. Brother, would